people, we don't, you know, first, first of all, you have to think that when I say I'm a Hindu, doesn't mean I'm anti-something, okay? Or even if I say that's an important distinction, right? Even, even if I say I'm pro-Hindu, doesn't make me anti-Hindu. Or if I'm a pro-life, that doesn't make me anti-life. You know, to put it in the U.S. perspective here. So we have to keep that in mind. And again, I will go back to our education system, the way we have been taught. The moment we talk about Hinduism, that is seen as attacking somebody else because that was the whole premise of not teaching us about our own culture because Mahasabha will come, all right? Hindu Mahasabha will come, or the RSS will come, become stronger. So we never had those kind of reconciliation that we talk about. I mean, I talked I talk to some people in our group about uh, and you still see that though, right? I mean, you still see that in like uh, political conversation. Yeah. Even in mainstream political conversations, I remember it was a central theme of the 2014 elections that if Modi wins, India will end yeah. as, a, as a nation. But lo and behold, you know, to the great surprise of everybody on the planet, India is still around. So there's a great conversation. I mean, if you follow, no, no, in India particularly, you know, and he's talking about, you know, the Hindu Mahasabha will come, that danger. That narrative, it hasn't gone away. No, no, it hasn't. I mean, when I talk to folks in our group, you know, from, let's say, I have a big group of JNU people that I interact with. Wow, you're in the belly of the beast, aren't you? <laughs> uh, and, you know, it's like, oh, don't talk about it, you know, don't create disharmony. You know, for example, to talk about the Goa Inquisition. Oh, let's not talk about it. But that doesn't mean when I talk about these things, that doesn't mean I have any anti-feeling and I have any kind of uh, revenge uh, feeling towards anybody. But we need to talk. I mean, it's, it's, sometimes it comes like, you know, my, my wife, I have mentioned that is Polish origin, right? So there are certain things that in her family is never talked about. Uh, the German occupation of Gdańsk. Gdańsk. The, cit the city of Gdańsk, okay? Uh, my wife's grandfather was, you know, became part, because he was a teacher, he became part of the German, uh, whatever, bureaucracy or whatever, you know, and he did a lot of things without his will, and he never wanted to talk about it. But that's a different issue, but here, uh, there's something that is part of history. Uh, we need to at least know, and we shouldn't be afraid about it. We should have the confidence uh, that people will not misuse this kind of information. And the more we hide it, the more we run into that kind of problem that will probably bring Mahasabha one day. Uh, I hope it answers. No, it does, it does. And Raji, I wanna ask you as well, you know, when we're talking about increasing the assertiveness, you know, stop shying away from uh, being who you are because for so long you, you were talking about that we'd be taught about how horrible we are and you know, there's nothing good about us, but there are, you know, there, there's parts of the Hindu population that are uh, re-educating themselves, reigniting the sort of light, so to say, within themselves. And what would be your recommendation in that way to say that, okay, this is how we can now, in, in, in this 
uh, in this day and age, in this time, in American society, continue to assert ourselves better? I have a question. So what comes to mind is a statement from Swami Dayananda Sarasvatiji. So he said, what is the goal of life for a Hindu? The goal of life is to dispel that avidya from your mind about your true nature and acquire vidya. So the vidya will dispel that avidya about your true nature. That is an unapologetic statement of who you are as a Hindu on a personal journey in this lifetime and across lifetimes, knowing your dharma, trying to reduce your karma, and trying to accomplish what the goal of life is, dispel the fact, who, who are you? You're part of Brahman. So this is our philosophy. It's an unapologetic statement that should not stand in contradictory terms with Abrahamic philosophies. In my conversations, Abrahamics, for example, uh, with, the, with the Muslims, I had a long conversation with one of the preachers, and then he said, there, there is an instance in the Quran that after they have, the Muslim preachers have exhausted all the ways of trying to make you to convert, if everything has failed, then they're required to say, to you yours, and to me mine, and to me mine. I shall not worship that which is yours, and you shall not worship that which is mine, and we go our ways. Of course, some people later on say that is a call to arms, because that is, <laughs> but the point is, in a contemporary world today, that's a place where we can find dialogue. We can say, you have a precedence. You have precedence not only assimilate or destroy. You have a precedence here where you can go and be with your way or your journey. Your journey is that, that you obey Mohammed's law and that will give you the, uh, uh, that submission will give you perhaps the heaven jalat that you seek. But in my systems, this is who I am. Every action of mine is defined by this. So to answer your question, there's no apology about who I am. There's no apology about my philosophy. If every Hindu can articulate, a Hindu word is useful to understand, right? Yes, yes. So, so articulation implies understanding first and understanding. Understanding is a very big word. <laughs> understanding means I know Brahman. <laughs> it means I know Brahman. <laughs> no, that's a very big word. But the point is that at least we know like Swami Dhanan Saraswatiji said, what is your goal? The goal of life for them is to obey a divine dictated law. That will give them their heaven. For us, the goal in life is this. This is what it is. So this is unapologetic. I don't think I had to apologize to anybody or be afraid it's going to cause a resurgence of RSS. Doesn't mean that because I assert my Hindu identity. Assertion is a very strong negative connotation too. But just because I articulate to you what my worldview is, it should not be seen as uh, something that is against a Christian worldview. Why are we put through the uh, through the requirement through fire literally to assert our identity? And the same thing is not said when somebody proudly comes and says, "I'm a Christian." Wait a minute. Does it mean that if I don't believe that the only way to the Father is through the Son, I'm condemned for eternal damnation in fire? Really? <laughs> Why doesn't somebody ask them that? Why doesn't somebody say the same thing to a Muslim? But you are held to account. I think that is simply hypocrisy. Utter hypocrisy, born out of internalizing ignorances, prejudices, and Hinduphobia. Call it out. I'd say just call it out and just say this is who I am. I don't have to apologize to anybody. I think I think that that's wonderful. That's a perfect place to end our panel discussion today as well. Uh, thank you again. Please uh, thank for the panelists today.
yeah, we we could take a, we could take a couple of questions. Is there any written question that we could possibly grab? Oh, not you. Could you just hand them to us? I think there's one there too. Okay, this one is from uh, Mukul Dave, and it's for Raj Vedamji. The question is. Is it plain fascinating to know about science and tech advancements in ancient India, and have you seen these being integrated or furthered in current research in any way? Sure. Is it fascinating to know about science and tech advancements in ancient India, and have you seen these being integrated or furthered in current research today? I think it is fascinating. Oh, it is fascinating. Oh, yeah. Yeah, indeed. So, so there is, there is the. One would dispute many of the assertions made over here, depending on who you talk to. Many of the contemporary Indologists, I, I don't mean in a negative word, sir. <laughs> so so they, they would dispute. The, the assertion is that Indian sciences, mathematics, astronomy, everything came from outside India, through the Greek contact, through the Roman contact, through the Babylonian contact, and these kinds of things. So, then that would be contested. It's a few people who are like, like for example, myself, trying to see what is the real, real is again a strange word to use here, the, the, the history of science and technology, where did maths come from, roots of mathematics. Here we are learning new things. To me, yes, when I see the advances in India today, it is an assertion of some of these things, but it is purely an imbibing of what they think is European scholarship. To them, every Mathematics came when Newton suddenly got calculus out of nowhere. And that calculus is enabling us to solve differential equations, go to the moon, go to Jupiter and back. Or they try to see George Boole's effects with Boolean algebra as having resulted in your cell phone and other such things. But each of these things can be traced back, can be traced back to great antiquity and they can show how these European researchers got an inspiration from Indic works. In tomorrow's talk, I will try to address some of that, maybe not So, uh, to address that question, yes, there are a lot of people today in India who are aware of a need for change. There are people who are trying to study how change can take place in textbooks, but you know how polarized the situation is. If the government were to go and try to change anything with regard to Indic studies and Indic uh, accomplishments, the sectarian bias, uh, supposed sectarian bias, uh, charges are made and they are accused of that. So everybody's very, very scared of doing anything at all. 
In India, when you talk about education, we have to understand two things. One is, education is a state-level subject. However, the central government also has a lot, lot of central schools. So NCRT develops a curriculum for many of these people. NCRT is headed by certain people with certain ideologies, and certain things come because of that consequence over there. When states make the textbooks, they're not beholden to NCRT. However, they can use NCRT as a reference material. They can freely use its contents, but they can modify it for state uh, history, state modification, and so on. What we have found in our experience is that some states are willing to entertain where have the changes to be made. But even they, they don't have the experts. If I come and say any assertion, for example, RNA invasion theory on the basis of genetics, they don't have the expertise to evaluate my statement and how to take it. So they'd be worried because they had to go back to NCRT scholars and ask them, does this work or does this not work? In NCRT, you know what, what it uh, bodies over there. So that said, we know the challenges in bringing about change in textbooks. There are a lot of groups, a lot of people who are trying to do that. In the US also, we know there are groups, the California group uh, who is working on textbook changes and so on. So there are groups both here as well as in India who are trying to change it. So they are aware. The problem perhaps will be lessened if the administration in the center comes and asserts that we have to do the right thing. But if the problem is so complex that where are the experts to do it? If they want an EMIC expert to come and say something, who is credentializing him? When somebody from Harvard University pedigree comes and Mitzel comes and says something, who is going against his word? Are you going to take Sanskrit College Mysore professor against this person's So this is the issue. So there is, there is a scholarship existing in India to take, because they're conditioned into thinking only credentialed knowledge is valid knowledge. Whereas we are inheritors of a system that looked at pramana in a huge way, not only uh, by perception and inference of Samkhya and other such things, but by a whole lot of other things we were conditioned to think of knowledge. But that way of thinking is gone. Maybe it is an exclusive domain of certain philosophers or philosophical schools. But nobody in the education department has internalized this way of knowledge generation. So they're looking for credential knowledge. Credential knowledge comes from people who are like uh, uh, Professor Doniger, Professor Witzel, who are graduating their PhDs in a certain way of thinking. And they are the ones who are producing the knowledge. Unfortunate. So That's how it is, so yeah, I'm sure you can answer. Uh, I'm not an expert as you have said, but I know that from a, from, from a diaspora perspective, uh, Rajiv Malhotra, for example, he has worked with various departments, psychology departments, uh, psychology departments, and all Western psychology. So trying to get them to look at Indian materials, you know, Indian psychological materials. And because he was willing to put in money, you know, partially funds, then bring in Western scholars who are sympathetic to him. So this is one tactic he worked on. See, he found, because if you ask for Indian scholars, they all say, no, no, it's not inferior. Oh, such a kind of, you know, inferiority come. Really, what do you do? You take white scholars, American scholars from them. And then, yes, oh, yes, yes, you want that. And, they, and when they start saying, oh, this is important, this, that, that, so unfortunately, this is the way, you know, you have to proceed to fight back. So, <laughs> find people who are sympathetic. One more question. <laughs> so, uh, this is a little bit of a remark. Uh, there's something called KCPI, Knowledge, Traditions, and Practices of India. It was a curriculum developed for the 11th and 12th grade under the previous government, not under Modi government. In 2012, it went live for CBSE. So is this something
uh, in the 11th and 12th. The uh, curriculum, if you look at it, is pretty good for a first listing. It is, it is quite comprehensive, it is really detailed. The problem uh, uh, that happened, and this was uh, under, again, I'm emphasizing this, this was under the previous government, under the previous uh, Minister of Education, Kapil Kapoor, uh, someone mentioned, he was a big part of it, Michelle Danilo was another big part of it, and others. So the problem is that they did not think through the implementation. So if I have this in 11th and 12th, which college is going to give me admission? Where do I get the admission to? Etc. Etc. That kind of a thing happening. Um, so, uh, okay. Now, who are the teachers who are going to teach this course? So, the schools that initially adopted that, and initially there was a large number of schools. Who was asking about the education? So, there were a large number of schools that did adopt, but they had to drop it within a year or two because none of the teachers said, yes, I can teach this because no one had, as you said, no one had the domain. So the CPSC did not have, okay, we will go to teachers, um, what is it, teacher education to be able to teach this. So Chinma uh, Vishwavidyapit, which has come into existence just one and a half years of existence, it's a university, a, a Genova university. We said that, okay, this is our core function. This is a must. So we said, okay, we will teach this. So we, will, we went to CPSC and said, we will get experts from among us who can teach each aspect because the KTCI is a vast curriculum. It goes from chemistry to everything, from chemistry to architecture to everything about Indian knowledge, music, dance, everything. So we said, okay, we'll stream it in three lines, science, um, uh, uh, arts, and other miscellaneous, and we will teach that. CPSC says we do not have a mechanism of being able to disperse teaching unless schools have already adopted. The schools are saying we cannot adopt because there are no teachers. So in this kind of a circle, we stepped in saying we're not going to wait on the government CPSC to do it. We're not going to wait on this. We are going to take like-minded schools. So Chinma Vidyalayas, Bharti Vidya Bhavan, um, uh, Amritanan Vidyalayas, and ask their teachers to come and educate themselves and offer it. So this effort has started in a very small way to bring that into, but in fact the present government is really almost negating and going backwards in, for what reason, what secularism they are under, I have no idea, but they are really not doing the kind of stuff that they could, both at the, at the 11th and 12th level, and, uh, but they are now beginning to say that we have to do something from the kindergarten onwards. So this is a, a, quest, a, a short listing, and it does need to be promoted. The textbooks are available for download for anybody who would like to. Under CPSC, if you go, you can download those textbooks and look at the uh, look at the content yourself. Or else, uh, I can give the website. One last question, and then I think we should we could uh, call it a day on that. So here's a question. Uh, there's no name here, but there's a there's a bunch of questions. I'm gonna try and take one. Oh, okay, I'm, I'm gonna try and take one if that's all right. Um, the question. One of the questions is Hindutva is different from Hinduism. Uh, how? Why? 
And is it is it more of a political identity than a cultural identity in, in most respects? I can attempt. I don't see I don't see a difference between Hinduism and Hindutva because uh, look at the look at the Purusharta. You know, Artha, Dharma, Kama, and Moksha. Okay, and in that in in, in encapsulates politics. So politics is part of Purusharta. Uh, so is money making. Okay. So is uh, aesthetics, physical pleasures. You know, so there is nothing in Hinduism that debars you from doing politics. And, and politics is very important part of organizing is very important. So I personally don't see any difference. The people who want to make this distinction are those who are extremely politically motivated and they do not want uh, the cause of the Hindus to be forward. That's my personal view. Perfect. I think, uh, okay, perfect. I think uh, uh, we, we want to make sure we don't go on too long. I want to, again, quick hand for the panelists here today. Thank you very much. And also, please uh, make your way towards, uh, there's some dinner provided, so please, uh, everybody's been very patiently waiting today. And again, thank you to the audience for coming in as well and being so patient with us. Thank you to, of course, Indic Academy uh, for organizing this fantastic event. Thank you to Indic Academy for uh, allowing me to be a part of it. So a personal thank you from, of course, me as well. And again, guys, uh, please make your way towards the dinner and we'll have a little meet and greet there too. Thank you. Yeah. And please provide your feedback. Um.